hello, Captain. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Okay, so we'll just go. You ready? Yes. So, hello, welcome back again. This is episode, I think, 17 of this show. And I'm talking to someone who I've actually never talked to ever before, instead of those other people I talk to all the time. This is Erica Thompson. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Okay, first, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a huge fan of the Peach and Black podcast. And uh-huh. you a hilarious member of that cast. And you Occasionally. <laughs> so that is why I'm excited. Okay. So I only really know you from the online Prince land, but tell me, who are you? What are you? What do you do? What's your life? Yes. So I am in the U.S. I am in Columbus, Ohio. I am a journalist, uh, but I'm also a big Prince fan, obviously, and I'm actually working on a Prince book. I have been for several years now. Yes. And it's about uh, his spirituality, the spirituality and his music and in his life. And so over about seven years, I've interviewed like two dozen people um, who have known him. So I'm just in the process of turning that into a book. I I actually did it for my thesis. Uh, in graduate school. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's a, has anybody done that sort of angle before the spiritual prince? I don't think I've noticed that before. No, that is probably a book. That's probably the only book that has not been done on Prince, which is why I'm hoping that there will be some interest in it. I already know there's interest in it because I went to the Purple Rain Academic Conference in England earlier this Uh, year. And I I presented my research and I I got incredible feedback on it, which just really encouraged me to keep going. So, no, I think it's a a totally new subject that I'm tackling. So is this going from his whole life, from as far back as we know, up until the end? Yes, his whole life. (laughs) So you would have gone right back to, I think there's like a Dutch interview where he says he doesn't like churches because they're all politicians or something. You've got to have that in there, right? You know what? I don't have that in there, Captain. Oh, come on. That's the most that's the most basic thing. No, it's not. Where is from, that? Where is that interview from? Interview from I think it's maybe 81. Okay. Well, 80 or okay. 81. He first went over, he just did a couple of shows over there and he did an interview I think it's Dutch. And the guy actually asked him about what do you believe because it would have been controversy. And there's sort of spiritual hints in that album and things that he says and the Lord's Prayer in controversy. So the guy asked him something about, I can't remember exactly, about religion. And he's like, oh, I sort of like religion, but, you know, the people who were like the ministers and the people in the churches, they're like politicians. They're trying to sell something. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said from memory. Well, well, here's the thing. I So I know why I don't have that is because I have to establish some parameters 
and yep. the media coverage <laughs> because I could just go crazy trying to find every single interview. So I've really kind of limited it to limited it to Rolling Stone, the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, uh, Spin Magazine, the Star <laughs> Tribune. <laughs> I, so I have my certain my certain limitations on on research. So I have not <laughs> gone through every single interview that he's done. But uh. the difference is, you never know when he's kind of you know putting putting you on and he's really telling true, you what he's saying in interviews. So that's why I've tried to like lean heavily on the the people I've actually talked to in his life who knew him. So it's going to go right up to, well, I suppose Larry Graham will play a, some part in this book around yes. what, 97, 98. Yes. It all starts, I guess. I talked to Larry Graham. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I talked to him about the whole process of meeting and Prince and becoming his spiritual advisor. And it's it's really cool because he told me the titles of some books that Prince was studying. So I'm about to order those books shortly so I can read what Prince was reading. <laughs> but oh. uh, yeah, I, I was very fortunate to talk to Larry. When did you talk to Larry? Uh, earlier this year, about January, I would say. Oh, okay. Because I was just thinking the other day, I haven't really seen or heard Larry have any real comment on Prince since he passed away. I haven't, like, I haven't really seen any interviews. Well, I haven't been searching for them, but nothing's come up that I've noticed. Yeah, he's he sort of stayed pretty, pretty quiet. He's been pretty quiet, but right after Prince passed, he's done. He did a couple of interviews in print. I can't remember the publications, but yeah, for the most part, he has been been really quiet about it. Which is uh, sort of what I expected anyway. I didn't think he was going to come out and talk a lot about it anyway. Yeah. So have you got any sort of time frame for publication for the book? When can we go and buy it? That Well, it, it all depends on interest. So, I mean, I have about 300 pages written. So I have some more to write, actually. But my personal goal is to be done writing in about six months. However, the publishing is not exactly up to me. I was working with an agent for a while. And it's pretty funny, Captain, because a lot of publishers said that they didn't think there was interest in this aspect of Prince's life. And I know a little bit differently. Just yeah. within the fan community, there's a lot of interest. So um, those were commercial publishers. So right now I'm looking at academic publishers. And I think, you know, my experience at the conference will help me a little bit in that aspect. So as soon as I get some interest, then I, I could have a more concrete timeline. Have you thought about doing like a, a crowdfunding thing, like doing it that way? Uh, that would be something to consider once I've exhausted all of my, I guess, traditional options. So yeah. I'm hoping it doesn't come to that. But if, you know, if I, I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Some people go that way now as like the first or second way. It's like, that's the easiest way to do it. You don't have to involve all the other things. But if you've already got like contacts, then you might as well try those first, I guess. Exactly. And I think, I mean, the perception is changing a little bit, but I think, you know, having a an established publisher still gives some validity to it. And, you know, I'm not saying that people who self-publish or do the other way aren't, aren't valid, but I think I've always been encouraged, at least like by my professors, to, to kind of go the traditional route first. And then, yeah. and then explore other options. Ah, well, just like you know, there is interest in this topic from because you're in the Prince community. I'm sure you also know that almost anything, any book, anything that comes out about Prince 
it's going to get heavily criticized, I guess. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what way you go, there's yeah. always going to be that in the Prince community. There's just this, this, I don't know, it's just this like tendency to just kill everything, like criticize it. And even if it's good, there's always going to be some section is like, nah, nah, it's it's the worst thing ever. It's awful. How could they say this? Yeah. So I'm just telling be prepared because <laughs> that's going to happen. No matter how great this book is. There's gonna be a section. They're gonna kill you. Well, Captain, I, I, I have. I think I have thick skin now. I've been on Prince.org. Okay, you're you're well prepared then. I've been told. I've been told like years ago. I was told to shut up. <laughs> so, so oh, that's, I, that's the nicest I let, one. <laughs> I know that is probably the nicest one, but I think I got my feelings hurt years ago. So now I, I have tough skin now. Ready. Ready <laughs> and I, for and honestly. <laughs> I've had such great experiences like with my interviews and like different feedback within the community that I just kind of focus on the positive. But yes, I am prepared to be criticized. (laughs) Well, I mean, some of the books that have come out, they don't seem to be that well researched. And there's been a few since he died that have come out. And I don't want to say obviously they're a cash grab to come out after he died, but they weren't the greatest books that you've ever read like the most researched or so this sounds like it's going to be it's a topic that no one's really done before especially not a whole book just on this so you should be okay I guess yeah I I, I certainly I certainly have have confidence in myself but yeah I mean to your point when I after Prince passed the, the day he passed Um, I, you know, I was working with an agent and the agent said there are already all of these books like on the market, like just out of nowhere. And it was it was very like unfortunate to hear that because it it just seemed that some some people, not all, were trying to capitalize on his passing. But I've been working on this since well before 2010. So, so yeah, I yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in what I'm doing. And I suppose the big benefit from doing a book on this topic is people who want to criticize it, they can't compare it. They can't say, oh, this other book was did this topic so much better. Like all these like biography books, there's there's a lot of them now. There's got to be at least like 20, I guess. <laughs> and everybody always says, oh, well, this one's not as good as that one. That one's better than this one. But with your book, they can't do that because it's the only one. Yeah. So they've got to say, well, you can honestly say this is the best book ever <laughs> written on Prince's spirituality because <laughs> it is it's the only one. <laughs> I win. Say, I would say that. <laughs> Look, if no other book exists, you win. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, so oh, I worked so much in the last week. I've missed a lot of news. I just want you to, if you could quickly tell me what happened with Trump and this <laughs> kneeling thing and criticizing black people. I just don't. I don't. I haven't had time to even uh, read what it's all about. Just in like I, one minute, what is going yeah. on? Captain, I think that's the one area I am not going to touch. Okay. I'm not going to touch politics on this podcast at all. Oh, it's always fun. It's always do, fun. But I am interested to hear, and like you said, you don't, you're not up to speed on it, but I do, I will say that I go to your Twitter account just to kind of see what you're saying about America. <laughs> <laughs> It fascinates me to get an an outside perspective. So, but yeah, I better not, I better not get into that on this podcast. (laughs) Okay. Well, you ask me anything then, because then I can answer and you don't have to talk about it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, What what outsider's view is, 
is interesting to you? About what? Well, I don't know if it's an out. I mean, if we're talking about the U.S., I mean, you can tell me if you think, what do you think about, in one sentence, tell me what you think about the United States. <laughs> well, what that's, uh, that's a big question. Do you mean the country? Do you mean the president? Do you mean the people? There's many different answers to that question. All of them. But we can start. We can start with the pre- like when Donald Trump got elected. What what did you think as as someone out as as a non-U.S. citizen? When he announced to run, I was like, everyone else, this is going to be entertaining. And it definitely was. No, <laughs> no failure there. But then you saw towards the end of his campaign, he just kept saying more and more crazy things like, I didn't actually plan on winning this thing. How do I get out of this? And he just kept saying more and more crazy things to try and, it seemed like, to get people to turn against him so he wouldn't win. But it didn't work. They liked him even more. It was insane. And then he won. And everybody was, before he won, everyone's like, oh, there's no way he's going to win. It's it's Donald Trump. He's like this reality TV guy. He's a hopeless real estate developer. Like everyone in New York just thinks he's hopeless at his business. And it's just a really weird thing. And then he won. And then I think pretty much the whole world just went, yeah, well, that, that's America. <laughs> what, what, what else can you say? So you say, wait, when, really you say, when you say that's America, it almost sounds like you're not surprised. Like that kind well, of thing with your... I mean, I wasn't aware enough at the time, but, you know, Ronald Reagan was like, a movie star. He wasn't a politician. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go for this. And he won. And he was popular, and a lot of people say he was a pretty good president. But this guy, it's um I mean, America has become like the reality TV culture for the world. Like they didn't invent reality TV as far as I know. It was I think it was like a Dutch thing or something. These like weird shows and now they're everywhere. And then he got on one. I never even watched that what was it? The Apprentice. I never watched one episode. I never. Even, I don't know if it was even on TV in Australia, but I didn't see it. It was weird. But, <laughs> but then, yeah, he won. And then in Australia, I don't think that many people were shocked. Mm. Maybe 10% were like, what? How did this happen? And most people would have just went, yeah, <laughs> that's America. <laughs> of, of course. Of course, a reality TV guy won the election. And didn't even win the popular vote, but somehow we won with the electoral college system. And again, makes no sense, but okay, that's, again, that's America. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up in Australia, did you, and seeing, you know, America via media, however you form your perception, is this, was this a country that you really wanted to visit or that you had no interest to visit? Australia is a bit different to, I think some other countries is because here, because we were Commonwealth, you know, English colony, we sort of had this mix of local, like Australian content, TV shows. And then we had a lot of English stuff and we had some American stuff. So it wasn't like some countries where like their only images of America would be the TV shows that they see. Cause like, just, I don't know, just say Brazil. In Brazil, they'll have Brazilian TV shows and they'll have American TV shows because they might not have had that English UK influence. Just, I don't know. I have no idea if that's true, but just as an example. But we sort of had, we had like a section which was Australian TV and then a lot of English TV and American TV. So we, it wasn't a huge part of our TV watching. But then 
you had the choice. You could either just watch the English shows or you could just watch the American shows. And I sort of watched everything. But was America a place I wanted to go to? I think yes. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. It was just I I always wanted to go everywhere. I mean, there's some countries I don't want to go because I don't want to die. (laughs) America is somewhere on that list also. (laughs) No. But... But it was always just, oh, this is this cool place. You know, that's where when I was, uh, I don't know, like 14, I got my like Nike Air Jordan (laughs) shoes from America. And that was the coolest thing ever. And I did go there and I've been there many times. I haven't been there for a while. I haven't been there, I think, since maybe 2012 or 13. It's been a while. Wow. (laughs) So when you went to America, finally... And I guess thinking about all the times you've been to America, what, I guess, what did it um, meet your perceptions or your, or your expectations? Or did you have a certain view of it that changed once you actually arrived in America? Well, I've talked about this, I think it was just in the last show and maybe another show with, with Jesse is in Australia, there are Aboriginal Indigenous people, but in the cities, in general day-to-day life, you just don't have any contact. You don't see them. They're not around. There's like a few suburbs like in the inner city where some of them live, but again, that's not a place I usually go. So the first time I was in LA and New York and just other Detroit, Chicago, just to see so many black people was just like, wow, this is is America. There's black people here because day-to-day life here, you just don't see them. Now you do. But when I was like the first 15, 20 years of my life, extremely, extremely limited contact in seeing any black people. And then going Mm -hmm. to America, it's just like, ah, everywhere. And I don't know if it was was culture shock. I wasn't shocked. It was just like a a realization, like it's so different from where I come from, which was- I suppose a good thing to to have. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about that in Australia not um being exposed to indigenous people? Do you feel that that's bad? Is it good? Are you indifferent about it? Like what's your opinion on that? I think like most I don't want to I'll just speak for all of Australians, why not? <laughs> um, I think I feel indifferent about it. Like I don't know if you know anything about Australian history and the way white people treated indigenous people here. It's similar to what's happened in America and other countries, mm-hmm. but it's not a great history. And like in America, race is such like a big issue all the time. And yeah. here it seems to just generally just be ignored, in my opinion. Like we know what happened and we're just like, don't worry about it. Mm. Which is... Well, I guess it's good and bad. It's good because it's not always constantly an issue, but it's bad because you're never really accepting what happened. It's just like you just don't even think about it. And then I would assume, and maybe it's wrong to assume, but do you know much about the day-to-day life of Aboriginal people in Australia? Not a lot. But again, that's the indifference. It's like their life may be okay. It might be really hard, but because it's not something I have any contact with, I just never really think about it at all. And and the interesting thing about that is, and thank you for being honest about that, is, you know, obviously there there's more interaction between white and black people here in the US. And I am black, by the way. But I think yeah. a lot of people, a lot of white people, in my opinion, have that same indifference even though they do interact with us. Yeah. So I think there are some similarities, honestly, there. So that's really interesting. But the thing is, in 
many countries. I don't know where it ever started or how it's been continued, but well, I know for a fact in some Asian countries, if you have really white skin, that's the ideal. You're great. You have white skin because you're such a privileged person. You got to stay inside, but then you've got these poor people who have to work out in the field, you know, with rice or whatever they're doing. And their skin is really dark. So that implies that they're poor people because they're doing this hard manual labor. They're out in the sun. Their skin's getting dark. And then that translates to, well, people from Africa, well, they're really dark. So they must be all poor and, you know, like a lower level people. And that's what I understand to be the case in some Asian countries is that thinking is that white is best and black is further down that list. So what, what do you think about that? Have you ever heard that, that idea before? <laughs> yes, I've heard that idea before. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I don't, have you been to Asia or any Asian country? I have. I've lived in Korea for two, two and a half years. And I've been in Malaysia and Hong Kong and Vietnam and a bunch of countries around there. Wow. Is that common for for Australian people to visit Asia or is that something It that is because to... just like so many Americans will go to Mexico or the Caribbean it's the closest like place you can go mm. like everybody you know you go down to Cancun or you go to Miami you know you go to the beach that's the places that Americans go to here we just go to Asia because it's it's a short few hours away on the plane it's close yeah that and that it's that blows my mind because when I when I visited England and I went to Liverpool, um, I met a woman who said she would vacation in Egypt all the time. <laughs> and I Yeah, just, it's not that far away. Right. And I just I was oh my gosh, that's the life. <laughs> well, I don't you know, besides the turmoil that's there now, but just mm. to be able to go to Egypt, I mean I would have to save for a very long time before I could go to Egypt, I think. I don't think things are as bad as the news will lead you to believe. That's what she said. Yeah, that's what... Yes, there's always issues. There's always something happening. But now it's the 24-hour news cycle. They've got to fill every minute with something. So even if something happens, even if it's not that big a deal, they're like, well, we've got 10 minutes of like dead time, so let's just talk about that. So you're hearing so many more stories now than you used to just hear, you know, 20 minutes on, on the 6 o'clock news at night, and you only heard the biggest things that were happening. Now you're hearing every little thing that happens. So I think the perception is things are a lot worse than they used to be, but it's probably the opposite. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. And it's funny because I would say keep that in mind when you're <laughs> watching media about America, but it is really bad. <laughs> 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 yeah. Because I we get the NBC Today morning show and we get Good Morning America and uh, whatever the other one is, CBS early show this morning, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. They we get all those here. They're on at like 4 a.m. and they're like delayed by, you know, however, six hours or whatever. So I just record them when they're on and I watch like watch them later when I have time. Not yeah. every day, once a few times a week. And I just watch it because even when I was in America, you'd notice the media there is so America centric. Yes. And there is rarely. I mean, I think it has gotten better lately, actually, in the last couple of years because there has been some big things happening overseas. But for the most part, it's mostly 
this is America. This is what's happening here. And so to watch America-centric news is interesting because then we – I see more things that, you know, we don't see on Australian news because obviously Australian news is mostly about Australian things, even though there's not that much, even though there's not that much happening here. (laughs) But, oh, let me tell you, let me tell you a ridiculous thing. Okay. In many things, Australia is behind, like maybe a year, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. Depends what the thing is that we're talking about. The current thing right now is gay marriage. Oh. And it's been they've been talking about it on and off for like the last few years, two years, three years, maybe, maybe more. I don't know. But they did a bunch of um, like surveys, like polls, and it was something like seventy percent of people just said, "Just do it. Who cares? Just let them let them do what they want to do. Who cares? What difference does it make?" And it was like over seventy percent. So instead of the government then just saying, "Okay, we'll just change the law," which would cost nothing. You know, somebody's got to write some pages. Okay. Instead, they opted to do a postal vote, which is going to cost $122 million. Wow. So they've sent out these letters to everyone who's registered to vote by mail, physical mail in the mailbox. (laughs) So then it basically just says, do you agree with this or or just tick the box? Yes or no. And then you just put it in the mail and send it back. Okay. So that's what they decided to do. But the even more stupid thing about it is the result is not binding at all. They could get back 99% that says, yes, gay marriage, and they'll just be like, okay, that's nice. Uh. There is nothing. It's not binding. It means nothing. I don't know whether they wanted to help out the post office with $120 million, (laughs) but it just seems ridiculous to have a vote and then just ignore what the answer is. Oh, my gosh. It's very strange. Yes. But that, this gives me a story to follow now in Australia, though. Okay. So I will keep my eye on that. <laughs> yeah. In my international news. Have a look. Yeah. But let's go. Let, so let's go on a random path now. Let's. <laughs> yes, let's. That's what this show is all about. Yes. So other than Prince, like who is your all-time favorite artist right now? Well, right now or Always, well, I'll, is, well, probably, always. Is, always is probably Mike Oldfield, which who? you might have heard me. Mike Oldfield. I do not know who that is. The most obvious reference you'd probably get is he had an album called Tubular Bells, which a theme was used in the Exorcist movie, which is where most Americans would have heard his name or his music from. Wow. But apart from that, he's really not that well-known in America. He's much more European fan base, I think. He's English. Mm -hmm. And he started – well, his first Tubular Bells came out in, I think, 73. And I think prog rock is the official category for his earlier music. It's mostly instrumental. Do you know the song Moonlight Shadow? I don't – which Maggie Riley sings. That's that's Mike Oldfield as well. That was probably his second biggest. Well, that's probably his biggest single, actually. Would you like to sing some of it for me? I would not. Oh. <laughs> but you can go to YouTube and search Moonlight Shadow, Maggie Riley, Mike Oldfield, and you can hear it. Okay. <laughs> but that later on, due to, like, I think, early 80s, these, like, long-form 
instrument, like hour long instrumentals or 45 minute albums that he was doing sort of were going out of favor. And Richard Branson, actually, here, here's some here's some news for you. Tubular Bells was the first album ever released on Richard Branson's Virgin Records. Wow. Every other record company that he shopped that album to says, no, what the hell is this? I don't understand this. This is not a three and a half minute pop song. Go away. Richard Branson, who was just about to launch Virgin, didn't have an album to put out. And so Mike Oldfield came to him and he's like, yeah, okay, why not? (laughs) (laughs) And it became like one of the biggest albums ever. So, Wow. I am going to have to research that. So, but then, yeah, like early 80s, the long form instrumentals were going out of fashion. I think maybe the albums weren't as selling as good as they could have been. So I think there was a bit of pressure from the record company to do some three and a half minute pop songs. And he did that. And some of them were like really popular. (laughs) So then there was like more pressure to keep doing that because that's making more money. Right. And then um, that's pretty much what he got stuck doing until I think about 89, 90. And then just before his deal was up with Virgin Records, he recorded one, my number one album of all time, Beats Prince, Beats Anyone Else. It's an, it's an album called Amarok, A-M-A-R-O-K. It was his last album to get out of his deal with Virgin Records. And it's just one, it's exactly one hour, like 59, 59 or something. Best album I've ever heard. I don't think anything is ever going to beat it. It's not for everyone. It's strange. It's amazing. And if you don't get some sort of emotional reaction from listening to that album, I think there's something wrong with you. Mm. It's a great album. That was his last album. So after I think they're making him do like these pop songs for a few years, he's like, no, last album, I'm going to do what I want to do. He did that one more full long instrumental album. I mean, there are some vocals on it, like choirs and stuff, but it's not like singing. Yeah. And at one point in that album, there's like this little section where it's in Morse code. (laughs) And uh, Richard Branson, you know, initials RB, the Morse code actually spells out fuck off RB in the middle of this song. So that was a sort of nice goodbye to that record company. That's a very Prince-like thing to do. (laughs) It is. But see, even Prince didn't go that far. That was great. Oh, actually, no, Prince did come out like at after shows. And I don't know if he started the chant, but I do have a memory of like fuck Warner Brothers chants at a few after shows. I don't know if he started it or the the audience started it, but it was definitely there. And he didn't try to stop it either. <laughs> That's awesome. But then, but then, but then the funny thing is, after that album, Mike Oldfield went to Warner Brothers Records in 1992. Oh, no, no. And, and had a great time there for a few years. They didn't try to make him do things he didn't want to do. That oh, was good times. <laughs> and I, I would assume. I mean, he obviously wasn't putting out an album every every year, and. No, he probably every in the early like from seventy three through to I don't know maybe early two thousand. So it was about one every two or three years, okay. and that sort of died off. Now I think the last in the last ten years he might have only had about two new albums. But he's been working on his remasters, and he's got he's already remastered, re released bonus tracks, everything. You know the things that we wish would happen with Prince's albums. <laughs> is happening like he's already done i think about the first six or seven albums so he's working on that he hasn't got time to do new music but that's fine too yeah so wait captain you're a musician too right uh i i would consider myself now a, an ex-musician oh no what what did you play or did you sing well i used to mostly play guitar 
and bass and keyboards and occasionally drums, but stupid arthritis in my hands in the last five years or so has that's just becoming less and less. And I've got all these guitars and bass guitars just sitting here, which I, I'm probably just going to sell because I can't really play them anymore. Oh my gosh. Did you so go that's through, sad. That's very sad. Did you like go through a period of depression when that started to happen or did, did you quickly? I think that's, I think I'm just getting that now, now mm-hmm. that I'm facing selling them. It's like, Oh, this is, this is happening. This is sad. But on the other hand, what I noticed probably in the last 10 years or so is even when I was in bands and we were, we'd go out and we'd play, you play songs at night and the, for the people. Mm-hmm. I got so bored to death with playing the same songs every night. I just, it was, it hurt my brain. I mean, eventually it started to hurt my hands, but it hurt my brain more. I just, it's so boring to me. So yeah, I haven't been in a band for, I think the last time was maybe probably a bit over 10 years ago. Like I think it was 2006. And and I, I just wasn't enjoying playing anymore. So on one hand, it's sad that I can't literally physically play anymore. But on the other hand, if I wasn't really enjoying it, then who cares? Yeah. That's how I'm trying to like rationalize it now. It's fine. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Oh, what's filling that void for you? Like, uh, like what are you passionate about now or... How do you express your creativity? I don't know. This show? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think like a lot of people, passion for anything diminishes as you get older. Like out of all these five, six guitars and basses I'll sell, I might just keep one acoustic guitar, which is a nylon string, which is easier to play. Mm. I might just keep that one. Like I still do play maybe once every week or two. Sometimes I'll play one or two songs. Sometimes I'll play for an hour. And then at the end of that, I'll be like, why did I do that? Now my hands are going to kill me for the next, the rest of the night. But so what? But what did I replace it with? Nothing really. I watch a lot of TV shows. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show? Oh. Currently. Currently. Yes. Like what can't you miss? You know, like everyone, everyone's talking about Game of Thrones, which I've never seen in my life. <laughs> I have never seen it either. I just... Right in maybe the first or second season, somebody just renamed it Boobs and Dragons. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really need to see that. That's fine. <laughs> but I think it's not really that much <laughs> that anymore. It's, there's not a lot of dragons in it. There's just occasionally. But there's probably still a lot of blood and boobs and yeah, I, I, I don't care. Yeah. But yeah, I've never, I've, I've literally walked past and seen like five seconds here, here and there, but I've never watched it. But the show... Do you know what? I don't think there is a show I can't miss. Like, there's really not. Really? You've got to have one. You've got it. Maybe there's a lot of shows that I like, but there's no urgency to watch them. Mm. Like this, that new Star Trek, uh, what is it, Discovery, just came yeah. out, like, I think in the last few days. Yeah. I've got that now. It's on my computer, but I haven't watched it yet. I've had it for two days. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. There's no – like, I am – interested to see how what it's going to be like but i'm not dying to see it and there's really nothing that i'm dying to see right now or even listen to like even when there's a new album announced by somebody i'll be like i'll put a thing in a reminder in my in my phone oh yeah this album's coming out on this day go and get it when it comes out but then that comes up in my phone and i'm like oh yeah and maybe a week later two weeks later i'll be i'll finally get around to it but there's nothing really i'm dying for 
You know what? I can, I mean, just speaking of albums, I can relate to that. And it makes me sort of sad because I seem to recall a moment when I was younger where if I heard a new album was coming out by someone, I was so excited to rush out and get it. But I have not had that feeling in quite some time now. And that's that's Mm. sad. The vivid memory I have of that is the Love Symbol album. Actually, no, the more memory is actually the My Name is Prince CD single. (laughs) I remember going into this record shop like every day. It's like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? I knew the date it was supposed to be out. And for some reason, it was delayed a couple of days until they got it. And that's the vivid memory I've got of that situation. Just like, I cannot wait to get this. But that's that's a long time ago. That's 25 years ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) So that's especially sad. Yeah. But to further answer your question, like, what other music do I like? I like, the, do you know a band called The Darkness? I've heard of it. I've heard of the band, but I don't know anything. How would you describe that? I don't know. They're sort of, I would just call it rock. Okay. The lead singer has an insane falsetto voice. Not all, Not all the time, but he has it and he uses it occasionally. They're similar to Queen in some ways. Okay. It's sort of glam rock, I guess some people call it as well. But I really like that band. That's an album I'll be getting. They've got a new album out in the next month or two. I'll be definitely be getting that pretty soon to when it's released. <laughs> and, I, I, and I just saw um, Noel Gallagher from Oasis. He's got a new album out, I think, end of November. I'll be getting that. Nice. There's a lot of Australian bands I like and singers, but you will have no idea who they are. So. No. You know what? I feel I was trying, like, as you were talking, I was trying to remember the last time I was excited about an album, and I feel better now because it wasn't that long ago. It was D'Angelo's Black Messiah. And uh, I think yeah. we talk about D'Angelo on, on Peach and Black, but I think that was the last time. And maybe Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly, where it came out and I listened to it like the day it came out. So, uh, uh, yeah. a couple years ago, but nothing in the last. In the last two, not even Kendrick Lamar's new newest album. I didn't. I waited for a few days before I even listened to that. Like you've probably heard me say in the podcast, occasionally in the Peach and Black podcast, that I don't really like R and B music. Yeah, I think you yeah, did. <laughs> which and it's really me. strange because apart from Prince, I really don't listen to any other. I mean, possibly Michael Jackson aside. That's really like the only. Unless you want to go back and count like James Brown and Sly Stone Gay. and George Clinton. Yeah. Do you listen to Marvin Gaye? Not really. <laughs> I've listened to a few of his albums and I'm like, yeah, they're good, but it's not my thing. But see, that's the, the problem that a lot of people make. They hear an album or they hear a song and they're like, oh, I don't like that. That's crap. No, it's not crap. It's just that you don't like it. <laughs> that's how people think these days it's really strange to me just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's bad it's bad to you but it, you can't say it's bad you know what i mean yeah that's, a, that's like people, people people go and see a comedian and they're like oh he's not funny well 98 percent of people were all laughing you weren't laughing so i think you're the problem it was funny you just didn't get it for some reason <laughs> it's, it's weird how people think <laughs> So you don't think there's anything, there's any song, even if we talk about Prince, there isn't one song that Prince has made that is just bad. Oh, <laughs> subjectively, objectively, um, there's a few. Objectively, objectively, it's just terrible. 
like there's a few like straight off the top of my head like <laughs> the, the standouts are usually graffiti bridge the song a lot of people just say that's just bad i don't <laughs> mind that song i yeah. like it because that <laughs> was graffiti bridge was in the first five or six albums that i actually got of prince so it's got a place it's yeah. got the special place so all of that album is great to me even though that song is probably one of the weakest on the album, it's still, I like it. But most for most people, it's horrible. Then you've got Wedding Feast on Rainbow Children. <laughs> that doesn't have a great reputation. <laughs> but I go Chaos and Disorder, like I Rock They For I Am and Dig You Better Dead. Those two songs just seem so out of place on that album, which otherwise is like a, a hard rock album. Yeah. And then you've got these like two like sort of rap things. It's like, what, what is happening here? But that was just a like contractual obligation. Just get it out of here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, In my opinion, yes, there are some bad Prince tracks, but again, who are we to judge that it's bad? He obviously didn't, obviously he mightn't (laughs) have thought it was bad because he released it. But then again, he's got amazing tracks, which he hasn't ever released. So who knows how, how that brain ever worked? I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah, crazy. It's, it's a mystery for sure. I mean, he puts out songs like Wedding Feast, but he doesn't release, you know, Moonbeam Levels or something. So how, I how I don't know. Wedding Feast is just, it's so weird that it's, I don't know if I would say good, but it's just, it's just so strange that it's interesting to me. A feast, a feast. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> But I, it's funny, it, it doesn't surprise me that you like the song Graffiti Bridge, and I wouldn't call it garbage or anything, it's just, it's a little cheesy, but um, you yeah. seem to like, like, really uplifting songs, like, that's, and that's another thing I like about <laughs> listening to you on the Peach and Black podcast, because you have these songs that kind of, like, get you amped up to go conquer yeah. your day, <laughs> so you seem, you seem to like a lot of that, that upbeat kind of stuff, motivation. I like melody mm. don't like these sort of bland things which are sort of just there i like something to be happening and graffiti bridge has a melody it sounds <laughs> like like some nursery rhyme some kids song but that's what that's a melody that i'm gonna remember <laughs> even if everyone hates everyone who hates graffiti bridge they all know how to sing it they all yeah. know how it goes because it sticks in your head <laughs> so you can argue it's a bad song but if its goal was to get in your brain well that worked because yeah. everyone knows how that song goes, even if you've only listened to it twice, <laughs> I think. No, I agree. Oh, where were we? What were we talking about now? How did we get here? I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I kind of remember. I mean, we started with TV shows, which you couldn't, like, that oh, you, yeah. you like. Yeah, but you, so tell me, so right now, I'll tell you what I'm watching. I'm watching Ozark on Netflix. What is that? Um, I've never even heard of it. So it's, do you know who Jason Bateman is? Yes, he was in um he was in arrested development, I know that. Yes, yes. So he is this is suburban, a regular suburban guy on the surface with a wife and kids, but he happens to be laundering money for a drug cartel. Uh. <laughs> so a lot of people have compared it to Breaking Bad, but it's uh. very interesting. So it's only there's only one season. I'm a little more than halfway through and I'm enjoying it, so I will definitely finish probably in the next couple of weeks, and then I look forward to season two whenever that comes out. So that's what I'm watching. And then when Walking Dead comes back, I will be watching that as well. That's one of my shows that I, I have to keep up with. It's not as good as it used to be, but I still yeah. have to see every episode. <laughs> 
So I remember a, a show Jason Bateman was in. I think it was only one season called Carpool or Carpooling. Oh. And I really liked that show, and it just disappeared after. I, th- I think it was only one. How long and, ago was that? Oh, again, probably ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I really liked that show, and it just sort of disappeared. Yeah, that was funny. It was about there was Jason Bateman, and there was like three other guys, and they carpooled to work together. So you saw a bit of their own life in their own house, and then there was the drive to work in the morning, and stuff happened, and well, it was a funny show. Interesting. What are you watching now, though? Like you said, you don't have to watch. I watch a lot of shows, but the thing is, there's so many shows that I want to watch. It's why no show really takes preference because i want to see them all i just don't have that much time so i just sort of watch whatever i can when i can like i have watched the first episode of the orville seth MacFarlane's new show okay i like that and i'm just about to start this new star trek discovery oh that's right and i i mostly watch comedy i very rarely watch any drama i can't remember the last drama show that i watched I yeah i watch a lot of Half hour sitcom. That's that's my thing. So the Goldbergs. Much. I like the Goldbergs. I watch because it's because we've just had all the holidays. I've sort of forgotten all the shows that I was watching now because I haven't been on for two months. <laughs> Do you are you a Seinfeld fan? That's my favorite sitcom of all time. Yes, yes. I, that was a show that when it was on, it wasn't must see, but it was most of the time. I've probably seen like two thirds of Seinfeld in total i've seen most of it but there's still occasionally i'll see one come up and i'll be like oh i haven't seen that wow (laughs) but there was like what nine seasons i think so of course there's something i haven't seen yeah you should uh i don't know do you have hulu well the i'm sort of like ocd a little bit in some things so if i'm gonna what go back and watch a show i have to watch every single episode i cannot miss an episode I can't miss an episode. Even if, you know, the stories don't continue, it doesn't matter. I just, I can't do it until I've seen it all in order. I don't know why. That's just, that's my brain. Yeah. But uh, Seinfeld's good. I like his comedians in cars getting coffee. I love that show. Because I'm big on comedy. Norm MacDonald's podcast on YouTube. That is good. Okay. I need to check that out. It's, it's similar to comedians in cars getting coffee, except they don't get coffee and they're not in cars. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're just sitting at a desk, but it's usually around an hour show, and it's just comedians talking, which to me is very interesting. And Jerry Seinfeld's been on there. Dave Letterman just went on there a few weeks ago. Like he hasn't done a big, like a long interview for some time. Yeah. So that was really good to see him with his his big beard and his bald head. It's great. <laughs> Who's on your like bucket list to see live in terms of comedians? <sighs> good question. Bill Burr was one of them, and I've seen him. How was that? great he's okay. great he also has a podcast I, I, th- I think it's i think it's called the monday morning podcast and he puts it out on thursdays so it's that's a comedian's brain right there so it's funny it's something i used to listen to that religiously and i used yeah. to like silver but he's kind of said and i i mean he kind what's of he said me. come on what did he say <laughs> It was. I mean, I don't. It was. uh, It had to do with racism here in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. I I, I won't get in. I don't want to get into it too deeply. But and like, okay, so I understand he's a comedian. Comedians, you know what I mean. I don't. I try not to take things too seriously, but it just really pissed me off, and uh, so I don't really listen to him anymore. (laughs) Uh. But when I did, he was very funny. So, like the first time when I saw him live. 
I hadn't heard that much of his comedy before. And then when I saw him live, I think he's sort of like this polarizing. He goes on this line and you either like he he he's done bits like about domestic violence and like all these like topics which most people aren't going to talk about in a comedy show. Yeah. But he goes down this line and you're either you get it or you're just on the side that doesn't quite get where, you know the 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 thing that he's getting at every time I've got what he's getting at, but I can easily see how people could hear that and go, "You can't say that. That's not right." <laughs> like every like the thing he did about domestic violence was about you know yes, there's just some stupid guys who are gonna just smack women for no reason, but a lot of the time there's a reason. Mm. You know, he didn't just smack her in the face for no reason at all. It's not like she wasn't there, like screaming in his face or doing something. And then, so you can easily talk, say, well, then that's victim blaming and it goes all in that direction. Right. But there's a point, there's definitely a point to what he's saying. And if you can get that and go that way, everything he says makes sense. And yes, it's definitely like on the line of, should we even be talking about this or not? But I think he does it, you know, he's he's right on that line. And I can easily see how people could like it or hate it well let me ask you this because it was some you know he made the comments on his podcast do you put podcasts in a different category if because bill burr was different like he kind of just talks about his everyday life and just like random things and it's not like a a stand-up routine so Mm. i think i kind of viewed it a little bit differently like oh this is not he's not trying to get a laugh per se like this This is is actually what he thinks yeah (laughs) so So I think, and I don't know if I'm wrong for taking it that way, but it just seemed like the podcast was different than like a stand-up. Well, yeah. Then there's also the 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 thing of, is he being 100% himself or is he still being, to some point, Bill Burr, the, you know, the public personality media that the media is going to see? Yeah. And you see, with a podcast, yeah, you're never really sure. Like some people could be 100% themselves and everything they say is what they believe. And then there's other people doing a podcast and they're like, I'm this character and I'm saying these things. And so with the podcast, I guess you're never really sure where people are with that. Yeah. I was going to say on Peach and Black podcast, I am, (laughs) I would say I'm 95% honest me. But then I can tell at some points when I, if I ever listen back to something, I'm like, did I like that song that much? (laughs) <laughs> or did I hate that song that much? And there's like there's a little bit of like, you know, not playing up to the camera, but you know what I mean. There's yeah. a little bit of that, but it's it's probably 5% for me. Yeah, I I'm curious about that. Like do you kind of feed into the characters a little bit that you've become because each of you you guys you all have your distinct personalities and you can kind of predict which songs you're going to like and which songs you're not going to like. So I I'm sure there's just probably you're you're not even thinking about it, but you might step into that no, role a little bit. Sometimes I do. Like when, like for an album review, for writing our notes for it, I'll get to a certain song. I'll be like, well, I know those three are going to hate this song. <laughs> <laughs> so do I want to be the same? <laughs> but then I'm like, who cares? I'm just going to say what I want to say anyway. And usually it is against, usually I'm right. I will like that song and those three don't like it. And then in other cases, it's the total opposite way around. But that is in my brain a bit sometimes. Yeah. But not that much. 
Well, I do want to say I appreciate, I know we're jumping around here, but I appreciate what you guys do at Peach and Black. And I think you can tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, obviously Prince listened to you and I, I kind of wonder if he respected what you did too, because you were just very honest about your opinion. Like you weren't just like trying to kiss his ass <laughs> through the whole thing. So is that, yeah. that kind of what you think that Prince appreciated? Well, for him to contact us and fly me and MC to New York, <laughs> Uh, and spend all that money i'm i'm pretty sure to some point he appreciated what we were doing yeah and even though he said to our face he wasn't a regular listener ah you know he said that but then someone else who was quite close to him said he listened to pretty much every show that we put out at the time we were putting it out so that's so cool it's something i don't really think about but it's it's cool <laughs> You know what's funny? I, I don't know if you read this, but um, Rolling Stone put out an oral history of Prince in the 90s where they like interviewed all the NPG members back then and they told oh, yeah. their, their Prince stories. And the one that came to mind just, just now is when um, apparently Prince bugged the bathroom or whatever room it was and like would hear all the band members bitching and apparently he'd <laughs> and crack up. And I... <laughs> It made me think of that because I'm wondering if he was like, listen, listen to Peach and Black and like all of your critiques and kind of like found them funny. I don't know. It's it's something cool to think about. Everyone around him would have been like, oh, yeah, that's a great song. Of course it is. But, you know, was there really anyone, say, in the last 10, 15 years of his life to say, you know, that that's not that good? Or it just seemed to me there was a lot of yes people around Yeah, you know, the, the later years of his life. So if he if he wanted a an honest critique of you know his latest album, he, he he could have listened to our show because you know if we thought you know like a Mac was a good or a bad song, we're gonna say it. So. Yeah, that's hilarious, and that's I mean it's, he's such a contradiction because again like apparently he didn't want to keep people around to tell him the truth, but then you know there are other things that point to him wanting to hear honest criticism. So it's just really it's really interesting, but I'm glad. I'm happy for you guys that you've had that experience and that you listen to your podcast. That's so cool. <laughs> I get that point, though, of because I've seen or heard a couple of times in, I don't know if it was in interviews or in print or whatever, and he said something like, you know, I don't get what critics do. You know, what is their job? Mm -hmm. It's critic. It's criticized. That's their job is to criticize. And he said, you know, a song is a success when I've completed it. It's done. After mm -hmm. that, it's... I don't care. It's done then. It's already a success when it's finished. So I, I get the point of he doesn't care what critics say. But then you look at the last few years and that Third Eye Girl Twitter was always retweeting good reviews of his <laughs> album and, and, and reviews of his great concert he did last night. So, yeah, contradictions galore there. Yeah, he paid attention. <laughs> he paid attention. But no, if I think about like as a writer, having an editor makes me a better writer. I, I can say that. So I think, you know, if Prince had a little bit more feedback and it didn't even, you know, it doesn't even have to just be critics, but like other other musicians or producers or, or whoever, like I think that could have improved some of his stuff. I mean, he's a genius. He has a lot of great things, but, you know, I'm, I don't know. I think there was room for, for a little bit more feedback. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So where'd the Not name Captain back. come from? I think I've, explain this but i haven't heard it many... sorry i haven't heard every peach and black episode i've heard oh, most, but not all. i know i'm bad 
I said the last band I was in was around 2006. We were, we were trying to think of names for that band. And my brain, the first thing I come up with is Captain Lemon Foot and the Marshmallow Army. That was my great contribution to that conversation. And right. everyone's like, it's a bit long. How about just part of it maybe? And then Marshmallow Army, uh, that's good, but no. So then we got Captain Lemon Foot. Again, I have no idea where Lemonfoot came from, but but yeah, eventually it just got to Captain, and that was the name of the band. And oh. so then, when I'm starting this podcast, I'm like, well, I'll just use that. Who cares? Like, there's 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 no deeper meaning than just a stupid band name where that name came from. It's not like um, I was not a captain of anything. <laughs> I wasn't in the army. I wasn't anything. That's just a stupid band name. <laughs> it's funny. So your your newest episode is about the Carmen Electra album. Yes. I have not heard it. <laughs> I, yeah, you album, and many other people. The album or the, the show, because I was just like, why would I listen to that album? <laughs> but was, did you like, do you like the Carmen Electra album? Should I listen to it? Because that came out, what, 90, I think early 93, mm-hmm. that was pretty much the peak of my Crazy Prince fandom. So anything that came out then, 92, 93, 94, 95, it's all the best stuff ever in my brain. (laughs) Now, I understand Carmen is not the best rapper or singer, but the entire band on this album is Prince's band. It's all NPG. Even if you just listen to the album for that, it's good. Like, I know it's not out of all the, you know, associated artist album. You've got The Family and Sheila E and all these other great albums. The Time, for some reason, this is one of my favorites because it came out in that time. Mm. But I know, to, yeah, I know most people haven't even heard it and don't want to. <laughs> and that's fine. I don't care. But I like it. And this whole, the whole review is pretty much me saying how great it is and everybody else saying how it's not. I was going to ask um, if that's how that went down. <laughs> Mostly. There's a few songs that the other guys like, like MC hadn't even heard the album, like everybody else. Like he only listened to it, I think, uh, just before we reviewed it. So, But to me, I've heard it a million times. Yeah. So it's got more, you know, meaning to me that way. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool that that's when you like really start to get interested in Prince because so many people are stuck on 1980s Prince. And so I think that's kind of like a breath of fresh air. And then maybe you can, I don't know how much influence you've had over your peach and black <laughs> teammates, but <laughs> maybe you can like open people's eyes to like where they don't even really want to engage the nineties, but maybe you're able to kind of point out, Hey, yeah. no, there's some really good stuff <laughs> during this well, decade. But the strange thing is like out of the four of us, I think only player was a fan since like i think controversy or something Mm. 1999 i came on like i think maybe 1991 90 or 91 somewhere around there and toe jam didn't come on board until i think rave he was late yeah he was late and mc i can't remember where he came on but He's relatively new as well. So we're sort of slanted that way. Like only player has been on on board since the start as a fan. And us three came in, you know, in the 90s sometime. So we don't have that whole, oh, of course, everything in the 80s was the the best thing he ever did. Even though we might think that about certain things, you know, I said before, your passion decreases, even your for different things, your fandom decreases. 
and my peak time was that like early 90s through to mid 90s and then I sort of you know that was the peak and then I went down again through the late 90s and early 2000s yeah and then I was just up and down through the years it's interesting how that goes yeah it's for me it's weird it's it's kind of I don't know I think I I'm a little unique because I would say I became like a really big fan in 2002 I watched Purple Rain and then I went out and got his newest album, which was Rainbow Children. <laughs> and so, you're like, wow, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> right. And I and obviously like that kind of inspired my whole research into his spirituality because I was like, how do you go from Purple Rain to Rainbow Children? But Rainbow Children is such a great album if you think about the instrumentals, like the just the musicianship. Oh yeah. So it didn't turn me off. And I I can't remember. I know you have like a cast member on Peach and Black and I can't remember who it is, but who gets kind of like really kind of bothered by like the religious messages. That's that's Toe Jam. Because he he like studies that, you know, is it theology, like the religion stuff? He studies that stuff. So he knows about that. So I think if it comes up in a song, I think it like takes him out of the song because it's like a thing that he really knows about. And he's like enjoying Mm -hmm. the song. And then he's like, oh, well, then there's that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, even though like, you know, I was raised in a Christian household, so I'm sure that helped my reception to it, but mm. I was still just able to, to just to appreciate it for the musicianship. So yeah, I don't know. And then I just kind of just went back through his discography, like kind of just jumping around and yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite era. I just have, I guess have my favorites in, in all of the eras, I guess. Because the new power generation are coming to Australia, I think, March next year. Oh, wow. So that's going to be good. Unfortunately, it's literally only about half the NPG and some, you know, some place fillers. <laughs> and don't, all, be, offend- don't be offended by that word because it's literally what it, what it is. Like we, we're not getting Michael B because I, th- I think he's off with Soul Asylum or someone. Okay. Um, we are getting Sunny T, uh, Mr. Hayes. Nice. Levi can't make it. Oh um, no! <laughs> which again, I'm sad. Yeah. But then somebody said, "Don't worry, Mike Scott's coming," and I was like, "I'm not going," <laughs> because I don't particularly like nothing against him. I just don't like the, the sound of his. Everyone talks about my dislike for Mike Scott. My only problem is 97, 98, I think mostly 97, when he was on tour on that Love for One Another tour, Emancipation, the tone of his guitar was just so grating and horrible. Now, I don't know if Prince said, this is how I want your guitar to sound, or if that was his choice. I don't know. But I just hated, I know hate's a strong word, but it was just so, it's like, it was like fingernails on a blackboard to me. Only because of that, I don't like Mike Scott. But again, it's not Mike Scott. It's just his guitar sound. So anytime when they said Mike Scott was coming, I'm like, I don't even want to go and see NPG because he's going to ruin it with that guitar sound. But then someone said, no, it's not Mike Scott. It's somebody else. And I'm like, oh, it's fine then. <laughs> so we're getting Sunny T. We're getting Mr. Hayes. We're getting Tony M. Kirk and Damon are coming. I think Kip Blackshire is coming as well. Nice. But yeah, we're not what getting Michael Tommy? B. We're what not getting that? Levi. But Tommy Barbarella can't come either. Oh, <laughs> so out of like the six, five or six main guys, we're only getting half of them. So I'm like, ah, oh. but they first announced they were doing the big, this big blues festival in March. That was the first one they announced. And then I was like, but you know, that's a, that's 10 hours away. So mm-hmm. unless they're going to come to Sydney or Melbourne, I'm probably not going to see them, but yeah, hopefully they're going to come to Sydney and Melbourne and do some extra shows. So that will be good. 
Now, do you want to see them because it's your favorite Prince fan, or will you go see any of these Prince fans? Like, for instance, if the Revolution came to Australia, which I don't know if they did or didn't, would you see they, them? They did not. Okay. The Revolution did not come here, and they probably won't. But if they come here, I will definitely go, only for the main reason is that I've never seen them. Yeah. And I did an episode of this. I talked to Karen and Seth, and they said the ticket prices like of the shows that they went to were only like $25, $30. I know if they come to Australia, it's not going to be that cheap because flights to Australia are not cheap. And I just know that's going to be factored into ticket price, you know, costs. So I know we're not going to get a $25 show, but I'll, you know, even if it's $80, I'll probably still go just because I've never seen them and I'll probably never see them again as a band. So I will go. And I'll go and see the NPG, even though it's only half the guys I want to see. Again, because I've never <laughs> seen the NPG. Like my first show was in 2000. So I missed mm. my whole favorite era of seeing them. Yeah. So I'll see them for that reason. So, yeah. I just, I mean, obviously it's not the same. I don't know. Like I'm not enthusiastic to see these bands just because I, I guess maybe, I mean, I just figure I've already seen Prince and it's not going to be the same and it's going to make me miss him. And it's, I don't know, it's going to annoy me. So (laughs) I don't think I'm just, I'm not really enthusiastic for it, I guess. I haven't thought about that because yeah, you're going to see them. Like I want to go and see, for me to go and see the revolution, I'm going to see the revolution, the band play songs. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. I'm not going to see Prince. I know, but yeah, I haven't thought about, would I miss Prince being there? Yes, probably you would. But my goal anyway was just to focus on them because that's what I was there going to see. And same with New Power Generation when they come to Australia is I'm going to see them. I know I'm not going to see Prince and it was Prince's band. Now they are just the band. And as long I think if people understand that, you know, they're not trying to do like some karaoke thing. They're not like I saw one thing and it said about, was it about, I can't remember if it was about the MPG or the Revolution, but they're like, some reviewer went to the, one of the concerts and they're like, it's just, they're just a Prince covers band. Who, who would want to go and see that? And I'm like, mm. what? A Prince co- <laughs> No, they were the band. They're not just a Prince covers band. They were his band. It was, it was such a dumb thing to say, I thought. But I can, I can get where they're coming from because what are they doing now? They're just playing Prince covers, even though, you know, they were the band that played them in the first place. I can right. sort of understand where it was coming from, but it just seemed like a pretty dumb comment to make. But yeah, if you just, I'm going to see the band. That's the thing. Yes, someone else will be the lead vocal. Okay. But I wish Levi was coming. I really want to see him play, but that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to have to stand there and like stare at Sunny T <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> I have to focus on him. So, so what, are, what are your, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, what are your thoughts on like, the narrative that the revolution was the best, you know, because there it's always like, oh, the revolution inspired him to be so creative. But then when the NPG came along, like, you know, they didn't have as much input, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? In Prince land, that's the age old argument NPG versus the revolution. Then you even get like the love sexy band in there as well. If the question is what I think was his best band ever, I'm going to say early, you know, early to mid 90s NPG for me. But if they were there, you know, 82 to 86, that would have been a very different thing then. I think for that time period, the early the early years, I think the revolution served their purpose very well. They did what they did. Wendy and Lisa had a 
great influence on him you know dream factory and stuff like that a lot of a bunch of that hasn't ever even been officially released yet so maybe that's maybe that's on the list who knows <laughs> but uh it's a hard question i think i think musically you know wendy and lisa had the most effect on his songwriting i think the npg in the 90s had more an influence on the music side of things, the actual playing of things, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like they had more chops. Well, yeah, I mean, they were all great musicians. And I'm sure some songs Prince came in and said, this is what you're going to play, play it like this. But then on a bunch of other songs, he's like, just play, just do whatever you want. We'll see what fits. Mm -hmm. So I think in that way, they had a bit more freedom. I think the revolution as a live band or even in the studio, Wendy and Lisa aside, oh, and of, of course, Dr. Fink's solos, I think it was more like Prince saying, this is the song, this is how you play it, do it exactly like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think they had that much, you know, wiggle room to play around. Live, yeah, they could do some stuff, but yeah. Did I say it clearly? Because even live, NPG, as a band, live in and after show, they could just do whatever. I read somewhere one of the reasons that Prince disbanded the revolution in when was it september 1986 was that you know he'd basically outgrown it he'd gone as far as he could go with it and then he was off to do new things and i think that was right because i think as a band or even recording in the studio i don't want to say they weren't that competent but i think the mpg were much more competent musicians and that's no diss to the revolution. They were great for, for what they were doing at that time. But I think the MPG took it to you know, another level, which I don't think the revolution could have done had they stayed on longer. But who knows? We'll never know. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think I appreciated that Prince changed up his band, you know, as, as often as he did, uh, to, you know, just to keep it, keep things fresh. So I, I, I like that about him. Because just think if he had kept, you know, just, whichever band he had kept the same band for you know for 30 years oh yeah you know even if they did change up the arrangements every tour and it, but it was still the same people that would have been such a different thing to what we had it would have been something else <laughs> <laughs> did you were, are you a fan of third eye girl Ooh, it's a hard question to answer because when they first started it was pretty much just Ida, hannah and donna and prince yes and it was like that for a while, but then you got a few more people on stage and then you'd get the horns occasionally. And then there were some shows which were like Third Eye Girl plus like the entire NPG and 11 <laughs> horns. And just, <laughs> it was just a huge thing. But I like the change that he did because when Prince came to Australia in 2012, that was pretty much the last shows of the NPG as it was. I think he did a few shows in Chicago not long after that, and that was it. Then it was Third Eye Girl from 2013 onwards. I never got to see Third Eye Girl, so I can't comment on their live, seeing them live, but I like that he changed it up again, which is always a good thing. And honestly, thinking back to that 2013, you know, we kind of going back to what we talked about earlier about like being excited for something new. Like I can remember like sitting in my bedroom, like looking at that mysterious, third eye girl website like oh uh, my yeah. god what is going on what is he about to do and i just think that's so cool that prince could keep up that sense of mystery and get me excited about things like so late in his career I, that's just awesome i don't know 
another artist who could do something like that that late in their career. It was just it was just an exciting time, I think. It was definitely a bold move to go from having such a big band to then breaking it down to like, you know, three, four people. But of course, he had that confidence in himself. And obviously, he had it in the band, in the girls, or he wouldn't have even attempted that. Yeah. I'm still waiting to find out if there ever was a a second album, like the follow-up to Plectrum Electrum. Mm. because I think we asked Eater about that and she sort of didn't really give an answer. So I'm still waiting to see if that's ever going to come out because that would have been one of the last things he worked on. I mean, you've got this, oh, what is it? Black is the new black with mono neon and there was a few things he was doing. But yeah, a second Third Eye Girl album is possibly one of those things. So that'll be interesting to know if that was completed and if we're going to hear it because all we've got now is previous projects to go and look for because there's there's nothing new yeah except for this horrible new idea from omar i'm sorry omar but have you seen this yeah i was gonna ask the, you what you the, thought about the new, that the new um <laughs> new power soul is the name of the band it's some prince associated artist you know musicians who have played i think most of them have played with him previously maybe not all of them and then this i think he's like a las vegas Prince cover impersonator guy. I just don't understand wh- why. That, that's the end of that sentence. I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have too <laughs> much to say about that. Yeah. I, I mean, the, I said, I think I was saying this to Jesse last time is almost every decision that the estate has made has been the wrong one. Like almost everything they've done, you know, they've got a choice of like, we can do this and everyone will be happy or we can do this and they'll be angry. They almost always go the, the wrong way and make everyone angry. And this is a, just another one of those decisions. And it's just, it's frustrating and it's annoying. And I try not to think about it <laughs> and I try just not to even follow everything that's going on. But people keep asking me and sending me things like, oh, look at this. What about this? I'm like, oh, no, no, not again. It's happened again. <laughs> I'm going to send you, did you see Marva King's post? Um, She posted it Sunday. I have it right here. It's super long. Because she's in that band, isn't she? She's in that new power soul, yeah. And so she just went, she just had some very strong words about (laughs) the criticism. And she kind of, it's interesting, it caught my attention because she brought up his spirituality to kind of defend, you know, what they're doing and that he wouldn't, what he she she says what he despised most was the mob like mentality attacks that were never productive only venomous so like she just i don't know she just had a lot to say about about the criticism but you know she she's biased because she's a part of it so i don't know i yeah. thought that was interesting well you can bring up the mob mentality and stuff like that but that's not the issue if there's a legitimate reason for that mob to be angry <laughs> then <laughs> then there is <laughs> And yeah. there is a legitimate reason. So, I mean, yeah, it's not productive. Of course it's not. But that's what people on the internet do. <laughs> that's, 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 that's life these days. People go on the internet and they say things. That's what happens. Mostly bad because people are angry about many things. And they've got to put that somewhere. So if you do something even slightly wrong, you're going you're gonna to get it. Yeah. She says, um, if you truly knew his spiritual purpose, you would not be launching attacks against his blood family who have every right, more so than anyone else active in continuing or capitalizing from the successful Prince legacy. <laughs> she should have put in brackets in that sentence, legally. <laughs> they have every 
right legally to do this. That's the, the one word she forgot in that little thing. <laughs> I don't know. Who do you think? Do you have an opinion on like who should be making these decisions? Well, I don't know. So far, the family have shown they're not the best at making these decisions. Almost every decision I've seen so far has been in their interest, not in Prince's, not in the legacy. Like they recorded an album of John L. Nelson's songs. Tyka was recording songs in there. Omar, you know, all these things have personal vested interests that I can see, unless somebody wants to prove me wrong on that. I, I don't know if biased is the right word, but you're in there. You've got millions of dollars in there. It just seems like that's not the right people to be making those decisions. And I don't want to, even though I'm going to, I don't want to bring up Tyker's history of, you know, substances, I'll just say. But, you know, I don't know how affected she has been or is or how her brain works. She Because things that have happened lately, have just like every decision that comes up, I'm like, who decided that? And again, if you go on Prince.org, there'll be very few people saying, oh, New Power Soul's a great idea. And of course, that's on Prince.org, so that's to be expected. But that is the majority of the Prince community that are online, at least anyway. So if that's your target you know, audience to sell things to, shouldn't you be selling them things that they want and not things that they hate? How is that good business sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're trying to make money, don't release something like, okay, we've got to sell something to these this group. So let's think. Let's give them something they hate and see how that works. What's the logic behind that? I don't understand it. Makes no sense to me. It's hard. And I try to put myself, I guess, in her shoes or the family's shoes. It's like if, if this tragedy happens and all of a sudden you have this control, like I'm sure it can't, it can't be easy. And I don't, I mean, we don't really know how close he was to, to all of his family members. So if you, if you didn't have a close relationship with him and all of a sudden you're tasked with this and you, maybe you don't know who to trust and you don't know who to go to. So you just kind of have to do the best you can do. Like I can't imagine being in that, in that position. So I try to look at it from, yeah. look at it from both sides. Like I'm sure of course- it can of course, of course, as fans, we've got the opinion, this is what you should be doing, of course, because that's what we think. Right. But, you know, of course, it's in their position, it's not going to be easy for them. But also, like you said, I don't know how close they were with him. To me, right. I, to me, I don't think they were that close to him at all. I think they might have spoken a couple times a year, if that. But again, we have no idea of that. But that's just my perception of how things were. That could be totally wrong, but that's what I think. And so who do they go to? Like if they had to go to someone to say, help me with this, I'm sure they weren't invested in the Prince fan community. Why would they be, you know, while he was living? And then who do they go to who was around him? Like, you know, Judith Hill, like who do they go, you know, or do they go, do they try to go to someone like Sheila E, but she wasn't, you know, a part of his decision-making in in his later years. So it's kind of like, who do you go to? I don't know. It's tough. And the weird thing is that I'm sure we've brought this up before on some podcast, but everyone who was sort of close to him seems to think that they knew him the best. Yeah. They knew what he wanted and they knew what he was thinking and that his relationship with other people was, you know, don't worry about that. What I had was the real thing. And the way that we, I think I, we or whoever it was explained it before was he compartmentalized so many things. Like if you were in this position in his life, 
He only gave you what you needed to know. He didn't tell you about what's going on over there and what's going on over in this section because you only need to know this, 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 and this, and that's all you got. So everyone has a different point of view because that's all that he gave them because that's all that he needed them to know to do what they had to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so everyone's got a different idea of like, well, this is what he wanted to do. But then, you know, the next person over is totally different. No, he was doing this and he wanted to do this because that's what he told them. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, who do you go to when it's all in his brain, which now is not around. So now everything's just split amongst like all these people. And unless you got everyone together to tell everything (laughs) that they knew, there's no way to get like a full overview of what was going on in his brain. You're just going to keep getting these little like stabs. Well, he wanted this and he wanted that. And they're all, you know, contradicting each other. But I think if they could do that, if they could get everyone together, tell everything that they knew, you know, that was happening in the last few years, we'd get some sort of, you know, a more clearer view of what was happening and what the plans were. Like we know that he wanted Paisley Park to be a museum or not even a museum. He wanted it to be open to the public to come through. He also wanted to also still have it running as studios as well, which is now happening. Now there's tour guides and Paisley Park's open and that's all happening. I know you've talked about this before and um, I, I could probably go back, but were you were you starstruck when you when you met him in person or were you able to kind of get past your nerves? And- uh, well, that wasn't the first time I met him. I'd met him in 2000. I met him in 2002. Oh, wow. 2000 was just a quick like... 20 second thing 2002 was like five minute conversation so then 2010 i was like oh it's this guy again (laughs) yeah it was it was as anyone would be affected when that guy walked into the room because you you just know he's got that it's prince what what else can you say he's got he's got that charisma he's got the the swagger when he walks you just know this is a guy this is the guy yeah (laughs) when he when he walks in a room and Anyone, no matter how cool you are, even if it's just in your head, you're like, holy shit, this is it's Prince right there. He's right in front of me. <laughs> but um, when we were talking to him at that Lex, I think it was the Lex nightclub thing there mm-hmm. in New York, he was, MC was more, because like I said, because I'd seen him before, I wasn't, I was okay. But yeah. MC was like, wow. I think for the first 10 minutes, he was pretty quiet. He wasn't saying much, but then he, he just, you know, because we, we were there for like at least an hour talking to him. So, you know, he warmed up after a bit, but I remember at the start, he was pretty quiet. Yeah. And I was just, I was just babbling because I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what have I got to lose? Who cares? <laughs> well, back in 2002, what was that five minute conversation? Did the Jehovah's was... religion come up? Uh, no, it didn't. Thank God. Okay. Uh, you know what when i was at the 2000 at the first celebration and i'm actually glad i wasn't at the 2001 celebration because Mm -hmm. i just didn't want to sit through an hour of bible study with prince as cool as that may or may not be (laughs) i didn't want that you know that experience to affect how i thought about him or the music like i'm sure some people who were there and went through that some might think it was great some might have hated that and it may or may not have affected the way that they think about him and his music so i'm i'm glad that year i wasn't there mm-hmm. even though the performances were great i wouldn't want to sit and have that conversation with him because you know it's just a you know it's just him trying to convince you that this is the right way and then you're you know you'll literally like be arguing with him and who wants to be doing that with the guy that you 
that you've liked for so long. That's just not a conversation I, I would want to have. But anyway, the question, 2002 in Japan, One Night Alone tour, it was in the soundcheck. There was probably about less than 50 people in like a, I think it was a 2300 seater. And, you know, everyone was just sitting in like the first two or three rows. There wasn't that many people. And obviously in Japan, it was almost all Japanese people. Mm-hmm. And like I, me, and I, I think I was the only white person there. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. So he... He was just asking, you know, how is everyone? And just easy, you know, easy language for Japanese people to understand. But of course, I can understand everything. So, And I was pretty much the only one who was answering him. So then this was, when was this? was November 26, 2002. And there was all this, the talk about, you know, he'd just recorded with Vanessa May, the, at the time, the Xenophobia album. Mm. And we knew that was recorded. And... I can't remember how it came up, but I just said, when are you going to release that album? And he and he's like, what are you, my manager? And I'm like, yes, I'm your manager. And I'm telling you, you should release that album. And he's laughing. And I can't, I can't really remember what else we talked about. And he said something about, do, do managers play bass? And I'm like, well, yes, I do, actually. Do managers and play bass? Bass. Bass, okay. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. And he's like, "Get up here!" So I get up on the stage, what? and um, again, it's only a sound. There's only like 50 people. It's not like a 2,000 people in there. And he just had, I think, three or four days off before that, and he'd been guitar shopping in Tokyo. And he had all these cool new. He had a new bass, like an orange bass, which you've probably seen in random videos. Mm-hmm. He played it a bit on the Musicology tour. That orange bass, and he had a cool little purple heart-shaped guitar, and Anyway, blah, blah, blah. He tried, we're trying to get the bass to work and something was wrong with it. So I didn't end up playing it, which was sad oh. because I'd actually had thought of a few things that I could play, but it didn't happen. So that was sad. What would you have played? I'm just trying to remember. There were a few things. One was Alphabet Street. <laughs> as you know, the bass line in Alphabet Street, like especially when Larry Graham plays it, is just insane. Yeah. There was that and um, I cannot remember what else. There was like two or three things. I'm like, if it ever happens, this is what I'm going to play. <laughs> and I was so close. Like I, had, I, t- I was touching the bass. I had it in my hands. It didn't happen. Oh my gosh. That, is but that, was, that was the second time. But the funniest thing is, I've said this before, when we saw him in 2010, he remembered me. Oh. And I prompted it, but I didn't give him any more information. I said something about One Night Alone in Japan. And he's like, oh, you're the one that told me to, to do that. And I'm like, wow, he remembered that. Wow. Because you just imagine how many people he would have met, you know, every day. But then again, how many people just get up and go, you should release this? <laughs> probably, probably, again, with all the yes people around, probably not that many just come up and go, this is what you should do. So maybe that's why he remembered. I don't know. That is so, so cool. That's yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not really a – starstruck person occasionally i don't know but i know they're just people yeah yes they're great they're great at doing this or that but they're just human people like everyone else they brush their teeth they eat food you know they're normal and they're probably to some extent sick of like prince lived in a bubble that's undeniable Mm -hmm. he talked to who he wanted to talk to he did what he wanted to do he very rarely had to do what other people wanted him to do and then all the sycophant yes people. Now he at some point people in that 
position, they're probably like, maybe, you know, like you said before, I wish someone would just tell me, you know, this sucks. Mm -hmm. So maybe when, yeah, maybe that's why that was memorable because I'm just like, you need to do this, do it. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's that. Wow. You know, I think this show's long enough now. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> all, all the others have been like one hour, a bit under, a bit over. We're just, so I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, I guess two quick things before yeah. I go. One oh, is- everyone, look out for Erica's book. It's coming. It's coming. I'll tweet it when it comes. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can follow me at a purple day in December.com where I have been blogging about my process for years now. So keep yes, in touch yes. with me there. And then my final question for you, Captain, is... Oh, and, and you're on Twitter. Oh, Erica Thompson. I'm on Twitter at Miss, M-I-S-S underscore E Thompson. With a P? With a P. With a P. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I guess, you know, before I go, Captain, do you think, and we've talked about this a little bit before in terms of, I guess, excitement fading, do you think you'll get to a point where... <sighs> you'll kind of distance yourself a little bit from, from Prince's music now, especially now that he's gone. And I know there will probably be releases that'll come out here and there, but will it, will there come a point where it's not a a huge part of your life? Absolutely. It's, it's already there. And I think, I think we talked about this before too, is the pretty much after Prince died and for many, many months and even still now, there's still people talking about what happened and how it happened. And literally, I don't know, a, a week, a few weeks after he died, I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care how it happened. I don't care why. It's done. Nothing's going to change it. It's going to make no difference to me, to my life, my future. If I know who got the pills or what happened, you know, it's totally useless information to me. And from that point on, and then Ever since then, and I'm sure we said this on Peach and Black at some point, is yes, of course, your interest is going to go down because, and the more time that goes past with the estate doing practically nothing and just doing these useless things, not actually releasing music, which is what people want, prints music from the vault, of course, they're just going to drift away from this. Of course, you've still got all the CDs on the shelf. You'll still listen to those. But as for future releases, you know, yes, when the vault releases do ever start, hopefully I'll be getting those, whether it's they set up a subscription website or their actual physical things, I'll be doing that. But I'm not going to be, you know, sitting on the internet every day looking for information for when it's coming. Like we said before with the TV shows, you know, I'll just get it when I get it. If it comes out next week, I'll hear about it and then I'll go and get it. But I'm not going to be on the internet every day you know, scrabbling for information. But uh, to answer the question, yes, 100%, I will drift away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think when I'm done with my book, I'll probably take take some time. That's yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Captain. It's an it's an honor. Like I'm so thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. It was great. <laughs> yes. It's awesome. al- it's always me asking all the questions, and now I just get to sit here and talk about me, which is you know that's everyone's favorite thing, isn't it? Just talk about yourself. It's great. That's what happens when you invite <laughs> a journalist on your show. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> all right. Take oh. care. Be have a great rest of your day in Australia. Thank you. All right. Bye, Captain. Thank you. Bye-bye. So now here's some theme music. 